As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I read about baseball for the Athletic, and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio. Doug Glanville. So, Doug, I'm back from vacation. I have quite a story. But first, I want, you, I want to thank you for keeping the streets of Starkville happy and safe without me last week. Uh, great conversation with our friend Marley Rivera. Uh, I, I, I don't see how you even would have missed me. Oh, it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough to be running Starkville without the Stark name. Uh, so uh, just to be totally uh, transparent, uh, all signage, I removed the word Stark from them for a couple of days. Oh. And I put, um, you know, to be it's sort of like vacancy. So it became, <laughs> so it became Vacancyville. And then, um, but that, that was just the code that we had. The municipality said that we can't have Stark unless you're in there. So, uh, but it has been restored and I did it in gold foil. So you are, you've been actually elevated in status in the Starkville signage. I see. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't see any of those uh, photos popping up on social media. I guess uh, Starkville was pretty lonely last week, other than you and Marley. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was very lonely. But uh, Marley, you know, took over. And uh, as we always know, we promise pretty much everyone who goes on a statue. Uh, we are running out of real <laughs> estate, so I think we have to annex the next town, whatever that may be. Uh, but let's yeah. just. Well, we have to annex something. Maybe the ocean. But uh, we have—I don't know what we're going to do with all these statues. It's a lot of them. 
it is. But you covered up my statue last week. That was the important thing. <laughs> All right. Now, this week on the show, we're going to talk to uh, Ricky Horton, the great Cardinals broadcaster, about a fellow named Albert Pujols and that Cardinals team that you're watching at Wrigley this week, Doug. But first, I, I, I need to tell you about the strange but true thing that happened to me on our vacation out west. Uh, so it's Saturday morning. Uh, my wife and I are getting ready to head for the airport. She's not feeling that great. So she takes a COVID test. Now I'm across the room. I'm, I'm packing and I hear this cry. And she says, oh, no, I'm positive. Oh, no. So like we go stare at this test like 50 times over and over, hoping it would change. But no. So she had COVID. At this point, our life gets really complicated because what should we do? We have a flight in a few hours. I'm negative. I'm fine. But I've also been with her nonstop on this trip, pretty much. So do we stay? Do we travel? Should she stay and I go? Should I stay for like a day and help her and then go? If she stays, where does she stay? If she stays, how long does she stay? And all right, before I go on, I should mention that I'm telling you all this for several reasons. The first one is she actually said to me, are you going to talk about me on your podcast? <laughs> and she, she was good with that. There's nothing better than attracting national sympathy. Okay, so like the, this part is completely authorized by her. Second part is, uh, I'm sure lots and lots of people listening to this have dealt with this situation or variations of the situation, so I'm curious about what they did. Third thing, though, is time to ask my friend Doug Glanville, what would you do if this happened to you? Whoa. Well, I I kind of think <laughs> no, I, no right yeah, answers there's, by there's the way. No, I mean, I think I think I'd have to just have to go down in the in the whole ship there and I would just have to I'd have to stay. Um uh, I don't know where my kids would be. That's always the mystery in this one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but uh, um and as you know, like we uh I had that was my, my that was my Christmas by the way. Uh, last year, that was my Christmas. Uh, whatever outbreak somewhere in one of my daughter's classrooms, we were like, well, she seemed, you know, she wasn't positive. And then we had the drive all the way to North Carolina together as a family. And then, of course, we realized, uh, got a test back and it was like, oh, she's positive. What are the odds that in a car for 12 hours, we're going to be positive? Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was not great. So my whole Christmas, New Year's was pretty much quarantined with my family in the house. So I guess it worked out. Thankfully, we were okay. So uh, I think yeah. because of that bunker experience, I'm going to say I would have hunkered down and and just been indefinitely in Colorado. Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah well, so I mean, we got through the whole vacation except for that part. So that was good. Uh, we'd gotten my daughter on a plane, so we didn't have to worry about her. My son lived pretty close. Didn't have to worry about him. But we still had to figure out what to do. So... Here, here's what we did. I, I called my doctor to try to figure out what I should do. Got some feedback. Uh, he seemed pretty confident that she'd be fine, whatever we did. She's vaccinated. She's boosted. But traveling on a plane, uh, that didn't seem like a good idea for her. But then what about me traveling? 
And he couldn't answer that one because that's not really just a medical decision, as you just alluded. It's a marriage decision. <laughs> so I, I did what I often do. Just left, let her decide. Okay. And she decided I should get the heck out of there because the last thing we needed was me hanging around with her, then me testing positive, then I get stuck out there, or we both get stuck out there even longer. Uh, we, we do have family nearby, so she's got help. I found her a great place to stay. Uh, I told her, hey, this could be like a blessing in disguise because at least then you won't have to be so nervous about this thing, whatever. And then as soon as I told her it'd be a blessing in disguise, I'd bowl her for the airport. <laughs> okay. So that, that seems wrong, but I'm home. She's not. Doug, it's really weird. So did we do the right thing? Well, I mean, it's a, um, it's a chance to rekindle some things from remote love. I think that that can be very romantic. <laughs> and since Starkville is remote or maybe even invisible or virtual, depends how you look at it. Uh -huh. I think you have a great opportunity. And I will vote to just build another statue. So we need a, uh, <laughs> it'll be you as Cupid, and then we're good. I'm happy with that. Yeah. You know, there's an old country song. I quote this all the time. Uh, How can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> okay, so that's. I think that's the rule that applies here. Um, we're not going to do the whole show in this, but if anybody listening has had this happen, and has some thoughts on what we should have done, what I should have done, uh, email us at starkville at theathletic.com. Uh, tell us how you handled it. If this happened to you, I, I'd be grateful for your input, especially if you think I'm right. <laughs> All right, now let's get back to baseball. Doug, I, I need you to explain the mysteries of baseball to me. Uh, let's go back to July 2nd. The New York Yankees were 55 and 21. They were on pace to win 120 games. They led their division by 14 games. They led the Orioles by 23 games. So what if I had told you that day that if the season had started then, they not only would be in last place in the AL East now, but they would be trailing the first place Orioles by 12 and a half games. Doug, what would you have said, and how do you explain how baseball can be that weird? Uh, that's what we love about it. You know, that's what we love about it. And it is, it's kind of what makes the game so humbling and why baseball players, you know, you have to have that quick perspective because as soon as you think you figured it out, it's over. It's, you know, you have to kind of you know, be in some sort of denial, actually, of your knowledge. <laughs> like, you're, oh, I'm, I figured something out here. So I was like, oh, Randy Johnson throws a slider, first pitch, out over the heart of the plate with runners in scoring position. It's a get-me-over slider. And once I got a base hit and knocked in two runs off that, it was like a secret. It was like I felt like I just, like, had some sort of CIA codes or something like that. So uh, you can't tell anybody. So you got to keep those secrets close to the vest because they're about to evaporate. So... Yeah, I mean, I mean, that, baseball just brings you to your knees, and I think it's it's kind of what makes it fun because we know postseason it's going to be about who gets hot at the right time, and that could any, that could be anybody. And right now, the Yankees are the opposite of hot. Yeah, look, there are real life reasons for what's happening to them. Not you know, I don't know that Aaron Boone wants to hear me recite them, but you know, their bullpen's been crushed by injuries. John Carlo's been out. Uh, 
Nestor Cortez is the only starter who ever wins a game for them. Uh, Aaron Judge stopped homering every day. Uh, and I think it's safe to say baseball seasons are long. Okay, but what, what we're seeing from the Yankees is something that we've almost never seen. After 81 games, they were 58 and 23. Um, in the 162 game season era, there has never been a team that had a record that good halfway through the season that didn't win 100 games or many more than 100. So the Yankees are in danger of being the first. And I also, I went back 100 years, and they would only be the second team in the last 100 years not to reach 100 wins, no matter how long the season was. And the only team that <clears throat> that didn't do it was the 1952 Brooklyn Dodgers. But that team won 96, only played 153. So say he gave those Dodgers another nine games, they would have gotten to 100 so like what the Yankees are doing has really never been done in a century. I don't think you can call it a collapse because we're still talking about a team that's in first place by eight games, but there must be some sort of word for this. And Doug, you're a wordsmith, so do you have a word for us? Oof. Yeah, I, I tried to look across the spectrum of sport. Uh, you know, you have a a huge lead in like the marathon and although you're going to win you pull a hamstring and you crawl across the finish line um so there is something to do with crawling and hamstrings so i'm going to call it crawl stringing uh, i think that's the right word <laughs> they are crawl stringing their way to uh, -huh. uh the end of the season and i i don't know uh where that goes and that would be since it's an unprecedented moment we need to come up with unprecedented words. And uh, so I'm going to say they are cross-stringing. And I, uh, I I don't know what, how you recover from that exactly. Uh, I had uh, semi-tendinosis surgery. I, I don't know if you can do that on an entire team or organization. <laughs> but I will recommend a doctor that if they need that. I say cross-stringing. Yes. Sounds painful. Yeah, it doesn't sound painful and but, awkward. And, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah, yeah I, uh, that's it. It's, you know, but, can't describe it. So that's it. But anyway, well, you just did describe <laughs> it. Uh, so, so there you have it. It's not a collapse. It's a crawl string. Aaron Boone, remember that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's time to welcome in this week's special Starkville guest. 
You know, he pitched in over 300 games in the big leagues, pitched for three World Series teams. He's been broadcasting Cardinal games on TV and radio for more than two decades. You can find him on Twitter at RickyH49. And of course, he's still left-handed. <laughs> he's Ricky Horton. Ricky, thanks for joining us. How is life treating you? Oh, life's treating me great, and uh, good to be with you guys. And I'm I'm trying to understand what being left-handed uh, is all about there. But I, I kind of been around enough left-handers, I think I know. Uh, but I've had this uh, charmed baseball life indeed, and uh, really pleased to be with you today. Yeah, well, I'm glad you are. And look, I want to get to your cool career path and uh, a, a unique bond that I think you share with Glanville that I'm pretty sure Doug doesn't even know about. <laughs> okay, but, hmm. but first... Got to talk about the Cardinals, man, and especially oh. the miracle of Albert Pujols. And, you know, Ricky, you've probably noticed this, but the Cardinals are smoking. Um, <laughs> just so people know, we're recording this before the game Monday night at Wrigley. But the Cardinals come in after sweeping two series in a row, winning seven in a row, 14-4 and four in August. So let's start with this. As recently as two games before the All-Star break, this team was, they're only four games over 500 and three games behind the Brewers. Now they're 18 over and five games ahead of the Brewers. So what has struck you about the way that they've played this month? Well, I think two things happened that are maybe the big reasons. And one of the reasons is uh, Albert Pujols went to the All-Star game, uh, got had a lot of fun, got rejuvenated, and came back the Albert Pujols of like he went back into a time machine. I mean, he, he has just been, especially uh, guys against left-handed pitchers, he is just dominating right now. And his at-bats are not, you know, he's not just there for show. Uh, he's the real deal right now. And he's been hitting over 450 against lefties since the break. And I think he's a big part of it. And I think everybody's just joined in. The other thing is, at the trading deadline, the Cardinals had a chance to, you know, be in the sweepstakes for the shiny new toy, but instead decided to buy the stuff they needed instead of the stuff they wanted. <laughs> And what they needed was two starting pitchers, and Montgomery and Quintana have, have definitely helped kind of stabilize the, the area that was struggling at the time, and that was starting pitching. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, you brought up Albert. Let's talk about Albert. Over the last 11 days, Albert has come to the plate 29 times, and this blows my mind. He has reached base in 17 of them with more homers than strikeouts, 6-5. to five. So what's it been like to witness this? Well, it's real. I had goosebumps uh, in the final game of the uh, road trip when when Albert hit his second home run. I looked down. I had goosebumps. There were more fans in in, in Arizona, and that's not picking on Arizona, <laughs> but the Cardinal Cardinal fans are traveling well right now because they know it's Yachty's last year, it's Albert's last year, and they want to see him. So uh, they're all over the place, and it, the crowd was going nuts. And and for Albert to do that, you know, it, it, I hearken back to I was around in St. Louis when Kurt Warner did his thing, and you know, it, it became a movie someday. So I'm thinking. You know, I don't know how this movie's going to end with Albert in 2022, but but right now the story's a page turner because you know every day he's doing something and you just say wow. You know, interviewing Oliver Marmol, the manager, after every game, he just kind of has this bright-eyed look and and wow is basically comes what comes out of his mouth because it's it's really hard to explain how rejuvenated he is. I haven't seen Albert in anything other than a great mood and a great state of mind really since spring training. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I watched quite a bit of that game Saturday when he, he hit those homers. They were they were epic homers. And, you know, our friend Dan McLaughlin uh, said on the air 
This is one of the greatest nights I've ever seen in sports. Now, he's seen a lot of stuff. You've seen a lot of stuff. Doug and I have seen a lot of stuff. This really is the kind of thing that gives you chills. And I mean, I know you use the expression that he's, it feels like he's jumped in a time machine. But what else have you seen that you think has made this possible? Well, you know, there was an explanation that I got from uh, from Marmol uh, again about what Albert's kind of learned to do, and I have to assume he's just uh, you know learned it and worked on it with the hitting coaches. He's just doing a better job of picking the ball up uh, somewhere out of the hand of the pitcher instead of. I mean, this is very technical, but instead of out of the hand, but somewhere on the way to the plate, he has great reflexes, he has great vision, and what that's helping him to do, I think, picking up the ball a little later. You know, I hit one ten in the big league, so I can't tell you much about hitting, but but I can tell you that it's hard to do. But, but if you know what pitch is coming or see the spin and have time to react to it, it makes a big difference. So I think that's a technical thing. Uh, but I just think he's riding the confidence right now. And, you know, he was a threat coming out of spring training. You'd say, well, Albert might do something. Now you feel like he's going to do something. And he just, I think his, his reflexes are good. He seems healthy. He's working out uh, quite a bit. So, you know, all things are good, at least at this point. So when the Cardinals signed Albert, what did you expect this year? I thought we would have a really fun year with a lot of nice moments. And actually what I was hoping for, and, and this is kind of like a, just a, a thought I've had because I've known Albert a long time. I just love him. I really do. I just had a great relationship with him over the years. And, and I just hope that it would be a year of redemption for him. You know, when he left the Cardinals, there was always this conversation of how would we feel when Albert came back? And there was like, well, 80, 20 would love him. 20 might be mad that he left And And, you know, there's, there's a hundred percent that love him right now. It's not even a question. And so I think it's been a, a story of redemption for, for Cardinal fans, for him, the relationship with Cardinal baseball and, you know, reconnection to Cardinal history, you know, his length to stand usual was always talked about when he was a Cardinal and putting up those crazy numbers uh, his first 10 years. But, uh, you know, it seems as if, you know, Albert has come full circle. And I think long term, that's going to be good for him and good for uh, the Cardinal franchise. Well, you know, when we were kicking around stuff to talk about earlier today and uh, Albert's name came up, you used a word that really struck me, important. In other words, this isn't just like a cool little story of a farewell tour. Uh, Albert's had a massive impact on the Cardinals. Uh, so in what ways has it been important, Ricky? Well, you think about the uh, the Cardinal franchise. And, you know, I've been around to – I'm, I'm old enough to have known Stan Musial and, and having him walk through the clubhouse back in, back in the playing days, back when you and I were first getting going in this, in this game. And – you know, he, it was a big deal to have Stan walk up and say, hey, Lefty, what do you say? What do you say? And there was just a presence that he had. And then Red Shanings and then Bob Gibson and then Lou Brock. Well, we've lost those four guys in our Cardinal franchise. And so there's this kind of turning over of our Mount Rushmore of Cardinal greats to kind of the new the new generation of those. And, you know, not having Albert a part of that is, was a bit awkward. And, of course, Ozzie Smith, Whitey Herzog, there's other names. Uh, Hall of Famers, of course, but you know the, the presence of the guys that I mentioned, especially Red Shandy, who's in a you know big league uniform for I think seventy years, which is ridiculous. Uh, and so he was just kind of the omnipresent guy. And, and I and I think Pujols can become and Molina can become kind of the next generation of guys we look to on opening day with the red jackets and just kind of have our cardinal moment, which is which is really important. Back to that word to the cardinal franchise. Yeah, you know the the difference is like those those sculpt those sculpted heads on Mount Rushmore 
They never speak. They never play. They never hit any home runs. <laughs> yep. You know, Albert's like the Mount Rushmore sculpture, all of a sudden coming to life, throwing on a uniform, and now he's the best hitter on your team. Well, next to Paul Goldschmidt anyway. Uh, so just the fact that you're combining what he's represented in his career with how productive he is, yeah. that's something that you almost never see. What's been the power of just that? Uh, well, I think the uh, the game you talked about uh, earlier, the Saturday game. So Yadier Molina throws a runner out stealing at the age of 40, uh, 41, I guess. And Adam Wainwright has been uh, has been pitched beautifully. And, and Albert Pujols hits the big – I mean, you've got three guys over 40 – and I think the fact that they're all doing it together is kind of neat, too. And nobody's like, you know, carrying somebody across the finish line. I mean, you have that kind of thought. Maybe that would be the metaphor. It's like, let's just kind of love them across the finish line <laughs> and, you know, give them, a, give them a medal and a key to the city and move on. Well, it's not that. They're running to the finish line. And I don't know what the finish line is, but I, but I can say they're all contributing. You know, Wainwright has not said it's his last year, as, as you know. Uh, but for Albert and Yachty, they're doing their farewell tour in every city we go to, yet – you know, they're producing on the field as well. So it's, it's kind of a kind of an interesting thing. It's not just about, you know, and it's not just about them either, because you mentioned Goldschmidt and, and Arenado's not bad. And, and there's a lot of good young players. And, and what I love about those guys carrying the ball right now is there's a lot of young, talented players that are learning an awful lot of things from those veteran guys. And that's kind of the way baseball should work. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to to. Wainwright and Yachty in a second, but just one more thing on Albert. Uh, he's slugging almost 800 against left-handed mm -hmm. pitching. Okay, That ranks number two in the entire sport. Albert Pujols is slugging 130 points higher against left-handers than Aaron Judge. Okay, So he has this thing that he can do that's still incredibly valuable. And he's closing in on 700 homers and that is quite a club. So I, I know he said a million times, Ricky, that he's definitely retiring. But mm -hmm. let's say he ends the season with 697 or 699. Should he really retire if he's that close to joining Ruth and Aaron and Bonds in that club? Well, it's a great question, and and he has been steadfast in saying, as you said a million times, he's not going to come back. And and you know, I, I think it's more about the the price you have to pay in the off season to get ready to play. You hear that from football guys all the time, especially is is look it, it, the stuff on your body, the time, the workouts, the dedication, all the stuff with family, et cetera, that you have to deal with. And, and I think he's I think he's past the point of no return on that. And so I would say no, he shouldn't. And I think he's the kind of guy, you know. He, he always says he doesn't care about numbers, but he sure does get a lot of them. And, and so I, I think he's going to, you know, he's going to care about him when he's sitting in a rocket chair someday or playing golf. I mean, he's going to say, you know, th that was a pretty nice run. But but I think he, he will find a way, knowing Albert, to be content, whatever that number is. Well, I had, you know, I had the good fortune of calling the home run derby and the all-star game this year. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I had a lot of fun with Albert earlier in the year with a photo. He told me I didn't know how to do a selfie. He took my phone and then retook it with a better angle. It was like, it's like, all right, you're already a better <laughs> ball player than me, so we don't need the, the photo <laughs> retirement skills now. But I think the thing that was compelling, and I was always cool with him, of the joy, you know, just how much he's taken the time to truly smell the roses. 
Uh, I know, you know, like end of the career, you kind of look up and realize, wait a minute, I should have gotten that bat signed. And I, I realize all these players and, and how quickly it goes. So I'm curious if, if he's spoken to you about that. Like, was it intentional? Was he thinking about it? Because he just seems to also be taking the moments to have fun, like pitching, all the things he's done. That seems so different than the guy that just destroyed us throughout my whole career. Yeah, well, he's certainly destroying a lot of people, of course, and 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 that's cool that you had that moment with him at the All Star break. Again, I think that was a, a kind of a good, uh, kind of catapulting thing for him in the second half to be where he is. But I do think Albert has intentionally said, "I'm going to smell the roses." And you know, I for one, and not many players who play the game actually know when it's your last year until you call 30 teams and they don't call you back. <laughs> and so, you know, Albert does not have that problem. He he's calling the shots here. So I think it gave him kind of the mental space to, to say, you know, this is it. And how am I going to make this something? And of course, he's a, it, faith is very important to Albert. I think he wants to set the right example to the, to the Cardinal world, to his teammates, to his friends, et cetera. And I think he's, you know, trying to be kind of uh, as, as uh, character driven as faith and faith driven as he can be. And I've seen that every day in the clubhouse. You know, I, when Albert first came up, I always used the word, I always said Albert would, walk by and hug me one day and the next day he would walk right past me and not know who I was. And so, and so you can't kind of, you couldn't really take that for, you know, like, Oh, take it personally. But this year I have not seen the second surly Albert is what I call it. Not, you know, we all have our days, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticizing him, but I'm just saying I have not seen that literally one time and I haven't seen him like that with anybody. I mean, you know, whether he's teaching you how to, to do a selfie or whether he's uh, signing a ball for a fan or talking to somebody, a clubhouse guy. I mean, he's just been he's just been the best of Albert. You know, Ricky, I wrote something a few months ago that said no team had ever had three players like Albert, Yachty and Wainwright, who played this many years together, uh, had done what these guys have done and then played their final seasons together as teammates. Now, I don't know if it's going to wind up that way. Last time I talked to Wayno, he didn't sound like he was so sure he was retiring and why would he, <laughs> right? But it, it's also, it's hard for me to imagine him pitching another season or two and not pitching to Yachty uh, after 320 starts together. What do you think he's going to do? And are we certain that Yachty's going to retire? Well, I'm pretty certain Yachty's going to retire. I think Yachty's got the problem that Wayno doesn't have right now of, of, of the wear and tear on his body. And I think Albert's got some of that, too. And clearly, I mean, it's it's hard to be a position player, you know, and play every day and, and, and work your way through that. And not that pitching's easy, but but it's a different different animal. You know, a, a couple of years ago, I, I told uh, Adam Wainwright, and I actually did it on one of our postgame shows, I, I, I made a very clear presentation about how many games Warren Spahn one after the age of 40. And, you know, he was one of the, you know, the great pitchers of our game, maybe the best left-hander ever, some would say, but a high percentage of his wins came after the age of 40. And I just kind of threw it out there to Wayno. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that's what's driving him, but, but I think he can be that kind of pitcher if he wants to be. He says at the end of every year, he sits down his fam with his family and they vote with his, with his wife and his daughters and they vote, should I do this again? Now, I don't know if it's a, a real democracy there. Not, I, would, I would guess his wife has a higher uh, percentage of her vote counting than, the, than anybody else. But 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 the point is, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the question that he could pitch a year or two more. I think it's possible. Now, whether he'll want to do it, I, I think he will. I think he'll be back next year, but uh, I can't say that for certain. 
And, and do you think that, you know, with these guys, and, you know, I remember Yachty coming up in Puerto Rico, and I played with Ben Molina on the uh, Mayaguez team. Mm. And, you know, they kept saying, oh, wait until you see the baby brother, right, kind of thing. They always talk about. So it's been a long run. Do you think uh, any of them have a vision or express the vision of, like, how they want to end? Because, you know, you always have these ideas of, like, you know, your leg falls off or whatever. But do you think, have, have any of them expressed that in a certain way? Is it, is it championships? Is it milestones? Anything along those lines? I think they all envision themselves hugging each other, winning a world championship. I really think they start there. Now, you know, is that going to happen? We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in baseball, right? But you start with that thought. And and I think that that's, that's what drives them. I really do. I mean, Yachty, Yachty's a winner. Yachty, when Yachty's on the field, the game's just different. And whether he's 80% of Yachty or, or not at, at his age, he's still Yachty. And he's going to make a difference with all the young pitchers, with the defense. I mean, everything. He just He's a coach on the field. And, you know, kind of the, the ending of the, the careers, I would say, you know, we're focusing on numbers because every day I get a sheet that says two more hits and Yachty passes this guy and, and Adam one more strikeout and, and Albert's going to pass Stan Musial in total bases. And I can't keep them all straight. I mean, I just know there's a lot of numbers and I don't think that's what's driving him. I think winning does. And, you know, I mean, we'll see where, where, what happens in October, but I think beyond that, you know, eventually you'll see Wainwright uh, in broadcasting like us. And I think eventually you'll see Yachty uh, coaching or managing somewhere. And eventually, I don't know what Albert will be doing, playing golf or Albert, Albert could do whatever Albert wants to do, but whatever he does, I can actually see Albert serving people in some way in some kind of missions work. And, and I think that's their kind of their long-term thing. Uh, but the short-term thing uh, for 2022 is, uh, is playing in October. Uh, you, you know, we shouldn't talk about the Cardinals uh, for a half an hour and not talk about Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Uh, Goldschmidt is just having a season for the ages, and it, it's just cool to see how he's he's still evolving at this stage of his career. But, you know, one thing that strikes me uh, watching the Cardinals is how he and Arenado seem to feed off each other. Am I imagining no. that, or is that a real thing? No, I, I think there's synergy between the two of them because they both – they're both kind of humble guys. They don't like to talk about themselves. I mean, neither one of them, but Goldie times a hundred. I mean, Goldie's just, you know, Goldie, every time Goldie gets a hit, he's embarrassed. I mean, that's kind of how it seems. Like puts his head down. You know, he reminds me of Willie McGee, a former teammate of mine. And, you know, Willie was always like that. He just kind of shrug his head and, you know, like, I'm sorry, you know, it just hit a triple. And so Goldie's a little bit like that, but uh, I think they, they see the excellence in each other and it drives them. They're not, I wouldn't say they're competing against each other, and, you know, you, you can make an argument they're, they're one, two, as far as who should be the MVP right now. And I, you know, don't I like the conversation until you get to the end of the season, who's the MVP. But if you said right now, you know, they're probably one and two, but I don't think they're competing against each other. I think they're driving each other towards excellence. And I see that the way they communicate with each other, the way they look at each other. You see that defensively, too. Uh, you know, Arenado in uh, Arizona made the best defensive play we've seen all year but he needed Goldschmidt's great defensive play on the other end to make it work. And if, if folks haven't seen that play, you know, that, that just doesn't, ha doesn't happen. It was, it was a phenomenal play. And uh, as we know, in St. Louis defense always matters. You know that no one practices these plays, right? He's, he's told me this, like he, even when he was a kid, he used to flop around his bedroom, right? Trying to practice these crazy plays. Well, I, and I, well, I, you know, my era, Ozzie Smith was that guy. And Ozzie right. Smith during batting practice, I would stand behind Ozzie every day in batting practice and, and our kind of our daily routine is he'd turn around to me and say, 
why are you standing back there? I'm not going to miss any. That was his line. So <laughs> they're hitting them ground balls. But he would take ground balls off his knees, and then they would hit, you know, the old AstroTurf days, they'd hit the high hoppers where he would jump and catch it and throw. So all the things that Ozzy did that were acrobatic were, were, were practiced. They were thought through. They were, I want to almost say, choreographed to the point when it came up in the game, then it was just instinct. You can't think about it. You just have to do it. But when you've done it before, it's a little easier. Yeah, I think it falls under that category. You can't do it if you don't dream it. <laughs> yeah, right. Something like that. Agreed. Well, I remember Ozzy would also do the no look, uh, like almost blindfolded. He would throw to first and wouldn't turn his head. He would just throw. And uh, I mean, and, and the thing I always remembered is I love trying to break up double plays. And I was on first, and I remember Mark Grace was up, Gallego was playing second, and Ozzy was at short. I was like, "This, I am going to get immortalized right now because I'm going to take Ozzy Smith. Everybody says they can't get this guy, whatever. I'm going to knock this guy into left field. And so I got the dream, ground ball to second, four six three, and I came in, and the throw was coming across. So I'm like, oh, of course he's going to catch it and then end up on the right field side of second, and I'm going to just plaster him. <laughs> and he gets the ball, steps on a bit. I slide into like center field, and he steps in towards the mound, and throws it across his body. I'm not even sure I was in the camera shot. I was so I missed him by that much. So I was like, "Well, Doug, you're not the only one, Doug. If that's any consolation, and, and you know the, the other one that he would do, where he'd go straight up. I mean, you'd go after him, and and he's not to your left or to your right. <laughs> he's actually above you, jumping over and. So the no look, the no look throw, Doug. When we have fantasy camps, and I'm I'm the commissioner of the fantasy camp, which is a position of no power. <laughs> I just kind of MC it, but I've been doing that for about 20 years, and you know we get a lot of great Cardinals come to that. And Ozzy does a little demonstration with our campers about how to play shortstop, and he can still do what you said. He still throw. He has somebody go over to first base while he's talking, and he just flips it across his body without looking, and he's right on the money every time. It's like, come on, dude. It's not that easy. I mean, it's hard enough to throw it over there when you're looking at it. But, you know, he's he's got a great flair. He's, he was one of the first showmen that I saw in baseball, and we've got a lot now, and it's and it's evolved into more of that. But but Ozzy, you know, I'll never forget the first time I saw him do the, do the backflip coming on the field, opening day at Bush Stadium. And, you know, it just it – just, he was an absolute showman. Uh, the crowd loved him, and, the, and they still do. Um, all right, I have to ask you the money question here about the Cardinals. Yeah. They just got that look right now. How deep do you think the Cardinals can go in October and, I guess, November, now that you look at the schedule? Well, I think you know, going back to 2006 and 2011 gives me a little more confidence to, to say that despite kind of you know some of the – the, the, the powerful teams that you look around in baseball, the Dodgers obviously are one of them and the Yankees, you know, had their, their, their downturn, but they're, but they're still the Yankees and, and they're going to be very, very good. And the Braves are going to be good too, as well, I think. And, and the Mets are terrific. And so, I mean, you can, you, but, but what happens is, you know, I would say in 2006 and 2011, you just said that about other teams then too. And you just said, well, but, and that, that's the beauty of the playoffs. So as long as you have, you know, three guys, I think that's why the trading deadline acquisitions of both Quintana and Montgomery were important because I think the Cardinals felt like three game series. I can't match the three guys in New York. You know, if we play the Mets, I can't match. So we need to get guys that we feel like can get us in, into the middle of the game and deeper in the game and, and rely on our bullpen. I think they feel like that can happen. And again, if you've got the offense doing what they're doing now and they continue to do it, then, you know, maybe you can just, you know, pound some other teams. So I think it's possible. Yes. I mean, is it, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how I, 
would handicap it, but I would say, you know, the the uh, the last two World Series championships have kind of proven to Cardinal fans that number one is getting the playoffs and then try to be hot when that happens. Um, hey, we need to talk about your own life and times. Uh, you've been broadcasting for a long time now. Uh, I know you told me that uh, the great Jack Buck played a big part in that. Uh, I love yes. Jack Buck. How, how did he impact your career? Well, when I was playing, you know, not everybody liked talking to the press and that, you know, we all know that we, you know, not a lot of guys like to, you know, just they're comfortable doing it, but I was just happy somebody would talk to me. So Jack would, I did a lot of interviews with Jack. <laughs> and so Jack told me along the line, he says, if you, you know, if you really want to do this, you can do this while I was playing. And so he actually gave me a recorder and, and sent me over to the, uh, to the head of Camel Wax and, and had me kind of, even while I was playing interview with him or talk to him about the potential of doing that down the road and i had the honor of doing my first game with jack wow on radio now i went to tv later but i did the first game with jack buck in atlanta and the game was a no hitter into the ninth (laughs) inning alan bennis up against greg maddox and alan bennis is the one with the no hitter so i'm nervous enough to work with jack buck and and what i remember about that moment so so jack got me into it joe buck taught me a lot of things after that about the mechanics of broadcasting but but jack uh, right before I went on with Jack Buck, Don Sutton was doing the game with the Braves, walked up behind me, and I knew him from the Dodgers, and, and, he, and he put his hands on my shoulders like literally five seconds before I went on. He said, Rick, this, this, this gig is easy. All you have to do is watch the play, think of something brilliant to say immediately, <laughs> say it in seven seconds, and shut up. <laughs> hey, thanks for that. Thanks a lot, Don. But now, I don't do well on the shut up part, but I will say, you know, the the – there was a lot of wisdom in that. I think about all of the people that have taught me things along the way, guys, and, and just grateful for the coaches and mentors that, that, that kind of poured into me. But, you know, Jack was certainly one of them. Joe, Joe Buck, when I did a game with him uh, early on, he, after the first, after maybe the second inning, he threw his headset down, which I've since learned is not what you're supposed to do in between innings. And he said, will you stop trying to be a broadcaster and just be you? And I'll never forget him saying that. That was maybe game three that I ever did. And, you know, just when, when you got the pros giving you some tips, that's a very helpful thing. Yeah, and Rick, and, uh, you know, we think about broadcasting, you know, we always think, of course, of the late Vin Scully. Did yeah. you uh, yeah. have any interactions with Vin and any recollections? Yeah, I, I 100%. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite moments with Vin, of course, we, you know, went through the World Series with, with Vin. And, you know, I had the moment of being in the White House with, with Ronald Reagan and Vin Scully and Ronald Reagan talking and Steve Sachs and Tommy Lasorda and being in the Oval Office for goodness sakes. And, and, and just, I mean, talk about being in with this, there was a, I wasn't sure who the most powerful person in that room was at the time, frankly. And so, so what I remember most about that is Tommy Lasorda turning to Steve Sachs and said, okay, while you're here, and since you do it all the time on the bus, let's see you do your impersonation of Vin Scully and then do the president, which he did. In, in the Oval oh. Office, talk about a command performance. <laughs> and and Saxe's face, even though he was Dodger Blue, was Cardinal Red because he was nervous about it. But it, but it's really, you know, so Vin, classy guy. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to have been around him for the two years I was with the Dodgers. And, of course, over the years, just connecting with him in L.A. Very gracious, always had time for everybody, really, and – uh, you know, he was he, obviously an iconic, an iconic figure in our game, as Jack Buck was. You know, uh, Doug and I talk a lot on this show about the Field <laughs> of Dreams movie and now the Field of Dreams game. 
And I know most people think Kevin Costner yeah. starred in that movie. We yeah. know the truth. Yeah. It was you, Ricky yeah. Horton, who stole that show. So, Ricky, this is your chance. Remind the world about your pivotal well, role in Field I, I, of Dreams. I'm so glad you got that straight, Jason, frankly, because people do confuse that. <laughs> yeah, and, you're welcome. And, you know, I would say I would say Costner was my co-star. I mean, that's I mean, I'll at least give him the co-star uh, billing. But it, it, the next time you watch that movie, approximately 19 minutes and 57 seconds into the movie, uh, is the pivotal scene of the movie <laughs> when uh, the 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 dog, Kevin Cost Ke Cost I call him Cost his daughter uh, says. Uh, Daddy, uh, what's his southpaw? And he says, it's a left-handed pitcher's honey. And they show a TV screen. And on that TV screen is me talking with Carlton Fisk on the mound. I was with the White Sox at the time. And so it's about three seconds of film stardom. I mean, it, it is just, you know, it's, it is the pivotal scene on my mind in the movie. And, and so I had all this pride about that. I was pretty pumped up when I found out about it. Uh, and I, I didn't find out about it till, till, Weeks later, nobody told me I was going to be in this movie. It just kind of popped up. Still waiting for it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No. The royalties are the royalty checks still, are not in the mail here. So uh, maybe maybe it got <laughs> lost. But I got traded to the Dodgers, which was fine. Uh, actually, it's funny because I had Rick Dempsey um, come up to me and tell me that he'd seen the movie the night before. He said, "Hey, you're in this movie." And I kind of looked over my shoulder like, "This is a veteran trick here. Somebody's out to get me." And then John Shelby, my dear friend wouldn't lie ever walked up and said rick you were in the movie and i said okay and so i so i believed him so that's kind of how you have to watch your back in the clubhouse uh, but i was pretty amped up about this until i replayed that movie and that scene over and over and over again ten thousand times and what you can hear in the background if you pay attention is a broadcaster saying and that's the sixth straight hit given up by a veteran south paul so he was so it's kind of like, you know, my you get the humbler gets you, Doug, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it, it will catch up to you everywhere, even even in the background of yeah, movies. That's right. And it's not, <laughs> but it was still it's still a cool thing. And and honestly, that you know, the the, the uh, Cardinals were supposed to play one of those games the pandemic year. Uh, the Cardinals were going to play the Cubs at that's the Field right. of Dreams, and that got canceled. And then we were tentatively scheduled for the White Sox the next year, and then we didn't go to it again. So I'm still waiting. For that trip and I, I it'll be very cool because obviously a great movie uh and you know so many cool messages in that movie and it's my favorite baseball movie and everybody's got their own favorites but it's clearly mine but i just like to have that experience of being there we're not going to have glenville weigh in on uh, summer catch now are we? <laughs> oh yeah that's my yeah i was in the credits man you know yeah. big time yeah. big very nice. lines. Very nice. all right look one more thing i know i know we've got to let you run um every once in a while on this show we get to hear Doug talking about his big senior thesis at Penn on, uh, let's see, it was where and how the Phillies should build a new ballpark. Huh. Fortunately for everybody, uh, you should know, Ricky, they did not listen to him. But I bet Doug doesn't even know that you also wrote a senior thesis on baseball at UVA. And I don't know how you guys get away with that at, at these distinguished academic institutions, but uh, tell us, and especially Doug, about your thesis. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad. I didn't know that about Doug either. So we, now we both know something about each other. So, so <laughs> in 1981, Fernando Valenzuela won the Cy Young Award. And I didn't know Fernando at the time. I was a, I was a Cardinal minor league player finishing up my engineering degree at Virginia. And and I thought, well, that doesn't seem right because all the stats that matter 
his weren't as good as uh, two or three other guys. So, so I decided that it was time for somebody to delve in the idea of creating an algorithm to determine value for Cy Young Award, maybe for salary arbitration, uh, for pay scales, for projecting the values of players uh, going forward. And so uh, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to say it was, it wasn't an A plus, but I mean, it was, I'd say I had that thought that maybe there was time for, because I love math for, for math and, and analytics, essentially, this was 1982 when I did that, but it was time for people to start thinking about how you can kind of use some algorithms to, to, to make better baseball decisions. So, you know, maybe, maybe a little visionary, I guess, but, uh, C minus visionary, but but the, but the point is, that <laughs> Fernando should not have won the Cy Young according to the algorithm that I made. Now I have never told Fernando that, so please keep it between us. <laughs> nobody nobody can hear this. Nothing to worry <laughs> I, about. And Fernando's it, one of my favorite teammates ever, and I love him to death. Uh, but you know, there's just the reality of what trying to get uh, the some of the things in baseball a little more objective and a little less subjective is where I started with that. Uh, you know, I have a Cy Young vote this year, so I should probably know. Have you ever uh, have you used this algorithm on any Cy Young races since then? No. The, um, the problem is I don't understand it anymore. <laughs> 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 it has been forty years, you know. So, so I, I can tell you, there's some some regressive uh, analysis uh, uh, and uh, and using kind of the constraints that I came in some decision tree theory, and that's about it. I can give you kind of just an overview of it. But honestly, honestly, I can't, I still have it. It's, I called it the pitcher's performance index uh, for want of a better name. Uh, and, and it was, you know, how I got to do one on baseball instead of something else is because I, uh, that was kind of my, my world and they let me explore it. So it was fun. Hey, Doug, Ricky came up with an algorithm. You can't even get a trivia question. Yeah, right? that's, I need, I need his <laughs> algorithm to help me with my trivia. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. Ricky, why, when you spare time, why don't you work on that for us? Okay? I, I, I will. I'll, I'll put, I got it in a box somewhere in my house. I'll see if I can understand it uh, better and, and get some get somebody younger than well, me. Probably. Well, who is who is supposed to win the Cy Young over Fernando that year, eighty one? You know, now I'm not. I I, I want to say it might have been Carlton. You know, I can't remember Carlton, who it was. I, I honestly, Carlton was it Steve Carlton? It might have been Carlton. Carlton let's two, see, it was Carlton Seaver, Fernando, something like there that. There were two or three. I don't think it was Seaver. There were two or three pitchers that had more wins, better ERA, more strikeout. I mean, it was pretty rudimentary. I mean, it's not like a, the WAR formula, which we know takes up a whole page on a piece of paper. It's not that. I mean, it was. You know, I was just trying to get through school. <laughs> <laughs> not, nothing better than talking Albert. And algorithms here in Starkville. <laughs> hey, hey, Rick, it's been fantastic talking with you. Uh, thanks for coming to visit us. Please do that again soon, okay? I, I would be happy to. Great to visit with you guys. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, 
and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Doug, you went down in flames last week trying to answer the trivia question without me. So I'm back to ease your pain this week, even though I'm sure we'll be just as pathetic <laughs> together as you were solo. <laughs> Not that I've got would have gotten that question either. But in, in honor of Albert Pujols, I put out the call this week for something Albert-related. And so I heard almost immediately from one of the great baseball minds in any team's media relations department. That's Alex Mayer of the Mariners. Uh, he's been trying to torment me for weeks with his favorite trivia question. Uh, it fits right in here. So I, I feel like I can't dodge him anymore. So we're going to welcome him in now. Alex, thanks for joining us on Starkville. Thanks for having me, Jason. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, we've been Anyway, Alex tried to hit me with his question a few weeks ago, and I said, you know what? This would be great on the show sometime. And so <laughs> here it is on the show. And Doug, uh, you should know Alex comes up all the time with the kinds of tidbits that we love. So we, I'm going to give you a chance to tell people about yourself. Tell everybody what you do for the Mariners. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, so I'm the baseball information coordinator for the Mariners. And, you know, basically I get to make a living out of what you just talked about, finding kind of the quirky notes about the 162-game <laughs> schedule and, you know, our team. Uh, just anywhere from, you know, hardcore baseball notes to some of the quirky stuff, like the uniform number stat that you love so much. So it's, it's, I'm, just, I'm basically living my <laughs> right. dream since I was five, six years old. Yeah, quirky is the magic word around here. Um, how, how did you become interested in finding that sort of stuff? You know, it gets our heart thumping, but we're always shocked when it interests anybody else. Yeah, so I actually grew up around football, the NFL. My dad's he's a sports writer of ChicagoBears.com, Larry, for the last 22 years. Uh, he's worked for the team since 01, he's covered the team since 91. So I very much grew up in football, but had baseball on the TV. My dad's a big baseball fan as well. And I just always fell in love with the numbers side of the sport. And that's what drew me to baseball so much more than football or basketball or hockey. Uh, just the sheer volume of games and innings and pitches. There's so much more that happens in baseball. <laughs> it's like we're authorized in baseball to chase all these numbers. And the other sports, they feel a little funny it about funny? it. <laughs> so, so we, we're in the right mm -hmm. place. Um, all right, before you ask your question on the 500 Homer Club, I'm just curious, how, how did you find yourself researching this particular question? Well, you know, I so I, I tweeted it from my account about probably in 2016, 2017. I got to dig it up. So I, I can't tell you exactly how I figured it out. Uh -huh. But just much like you guys, you know, you comb through enough lists, enough historical baseball stuff, you're bound to find something. And I stumbled upon it and there actually hasn't been a member 
to hit his 500th with one of these teams uh, since then. So the since question then. remains. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that, okay. That So that leads yeah. us into the question. And I, frankly, we've dodged it long enough. I've dodged it even longer. <laughs> so, Alex, tell everybody what your trivia question All is. All right. So my trivia question that I just, you know, kind of hinted at. Sorry. Hopefully I didn't give anything away. Um, there are... <laughs> There are three current Major League Baseball franchises that have never had a member of the 500 Home Run Club at any point in their careers. So, you know, 28 members of the 500 Home Run Club, and they could have had anywhere from seven career home runs to 507 career home runs. But these three franchises have never had one of those 28 players appear in a game for them. Can you name those three franchises? Okay, so just, just just so people understand this, um, like Paul Canerco didn't hit 500 homers, but he did start with the Reds for like five minutes. So in other words, if he had then gone on to hit 500 homers, he still would have counted for the Reds, correct? Correct. And the Dodgers. An yeah. And the Dodgers, right. Okay. Um, so listen, as I have... Uh, yeah, as... So I've, I've thought about this, Doug. Uh, it, it just in case you're wondering, it's this is not a piece of cake. But my first thought was it would be a lot easier to eliminate all the teams that have had a player who made it into the 500 Homer Club. Okay, so yeah, so like I thought of 23 or 24 franchises, mm-hmm. pretty much right off the top of my head. Um, so at least that left me with a group that's at least manageable. Okay, so here's what I had left once I was zipped through those teams. In the National League, Diamondbacks, uh, the Nationals Expos franchise, and the Rockies. And in the American League, I had Rays, Royals, and Blue Jays. And I originally wrote down Astros, then I remembered that Eddie Matthews finished his career there, so I knew they were out um anyway so here's my guess it, that it would be two of the newer expansion teams and then one team that's been around a lot longer so let's try to narrow this down the two new teams rays like i don't remember any 500 homer guys for the rays i know they had fred mcgriff but he didn't quite get to 500 as we know and then the Diamondbacks came into the sport with them. I've been racking my brain thinking of Diamondbacks greats. Uh, Matt Williams never hit 500. I mean, like they, they've had some great hitters, but n- no one from even their that run of really tremendous teams. I, I don't think ever got to 500. So I think that's two. I could be wrong. But then, what is the older team? Is it the Royals? I mean, they've had great players. They've had great hitters. Um, but they're also a team. They went three decades, and nobody on the Royals even hit 30 home runs in a season, right? So it feels like that's that's a real chance that that happened. Uh, Nats Expos, couldn't think of anybody. Andre Dawson didn't get to 500. Gary Carter didn't get to 500. Andre Scalalaga, he didn't get to 500. Uh, and then Blue Jays, I feel like there's somebody I'm missing, but I can't remember. 
a 500 homer guy on their team either. So well, I, that's that's just how I rummage through that. Dave Winfield did did Win did Winfield hit 500? Winfield, it was a Blue Jay, Dave right? Winfield. So he's out. Okay, they're out. That's the guy I was thinking of. Okay, there we go. So they are out. Um, okay, so what do you think, man? Like Gary Sheffield took care of a lot of teams. So he was helpful. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> I mean, so so that you know even all right like all right Colorado we're, we're not sure you're saying like there's some free agent. I couldn't think of anybody. I mean, but a lot, but like guys went there just because it was a great place to hit. So it seems it's it seems unlikely that they, that they didn't have anybody who ever did like this. The, well, the, the, the Rays just they signed constantly people who didn't hit a lot of home runs, right? I mean, they were just kind of like, <laughs> um, and then Montreal. I think they're one of them. Yeah, Rays, D-backs. I mean, I'm trying to think of these crazy signings like Tony Batista. You know, All right. But he I mean, hit 500 homers. Come on, man. Focus. No, Anything no for a Tony then, Batista reference, have... though. <laughs> yes. Right. They never get old, but it's not helpful in this context. All right. 500 home runs. So we, we think we have Arizona, Tampa. We still have KC, Colorado, Montreal on the board, basically. And we're trying to figure out. We do. Uh, all right, all right. Well, all right. Montreal. I mean, what crazy free agent? All right, the Nationals that counts too, right? Then they they probably had some somebody. Oh boy, I don't know. All right, <laughs> all right. I like. They probably had somebody. That's what's gonna. It's that kind of thinking that's gonna meet allow us to get this wrong. You know, they probably had somebody. Casey. I mean, they didn't. Well, all Do right. Better. Well, Kansas City didn't win, like you said. They didn't win a home run. I mean, they could have had someone for a moment, but it, you know, Solaire. Yeah, right? but I, that's that's why they're tempting. Yeah, they are very they're tempting. They're really tempting. All right. I, I I I mean, yeah. It's just it's all like guesswork, right? Steve Balboni didn't hit 500. John Mayberry Senior didn't hit 500. Amos Otis didn't. Hal McRae, Brett, none of those guys it's did. All those journeyman. I mean, how many of these 500? How, <laughs> Billy Butler didn't hit 500. Right, right but all right, work, working the other way, like the 500, like people who hit 500, how many of them were like journeymen, right? I mean, I know Griffey played for Seattle. And, yeah, not many. Right. Yeah, well, almost none. Like, That's why I said Sheffield was really helpful. Right, like, Red, like Reggie Jackson, right? He played for a lot of people, right? I mean, Angels, A's, yep. you know, yep. Orioles yep. or whatever. Yep. yep. Ah, all right. I know we run out of time here. If there was a clock here, I'm enjoying yes. this. Uh, <laughs> Vladimir Guerrero, how many home runs he hit? Oh, there you go. He has 500. Uh, God, I, I can't even remember now. But I, like, I, I let's just answer, okay? I'm sure we did what we always do. I'm sure we talked ourselves out of the right answer. Let's let's do this, Alex. Is there any chance it's the Rays? Diamondbacks and Royals. What if I told you you only went one for three with those three guesses? Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. That's about so, how it usually goes. So uh, the Rays is probably the trickiest one. They have, they've uh, have had, uh, excuse me, one player in the 500 home run club play for them, Manny Ramirez. Manny played well, for them for like for 30, 30 seconds. 30 seconds too long to be a correct answer. He did. <laughs> Well, he hit 555 right. so career right. home runs, zero that. in a Rays uniform, but played for them. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is, his Rays yeah. tenure didn't go well. Yeah. Spring training was and fun. Then, uh, enjoyed that. The Kansas City Royals is also incorrect. They have had one member 
Harmon Killebrew, oh. who hit 563 home runs, oh, played yes. for them at the end of his career. Uh, I would never. Yeah, I and never would have gotten that. Who was the, the second team? Uh, Diamond so the Bats Diamondbacks were, were the third. Um, and then we we thrashed around with a bunch of others. What do you got? You, you ready for it? We, we're ready. We, we're officially okay. gotten it okay. wrong. So, just so in addition to the Diamondbacks, whose top home run hitter was actually Adam Dunn, hit 462 home runs. Great to get an yeah, Adam Dunn to. reference on uh, the In show. addition Good. to the Diamondbacks, uh, it's actually two other National League teams. The uh, The Colorado Rockies would have been a correct answer. Uh, their their max wow. home run hitter is actually Jason Giambi. At, at 440 <laughs> home runs, you, you would have thought it was uh, Larry Walker at 383 or Todd Helton at 369. But most home runs in a career to also play for the Rockies was Jason Giambi, of all people. And finally, the wow. Montreal Expos, Washington Nationals. And who was and, and who was their top guy? Their top guy is um, Adam Dunn, four sixty two, and then Nelson Cruz right on his tail at four fifty nine. Yeah. yeah. All right, we had all the answers. We and then Vlad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've Guerrero's always got the answers. We've always got the got we've got all the right answers in all the wrong order. <laughs> But listen, it's important to remind much, people I here. I very much enjoyed the process. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the process is just, it's so much fun. Uh, but it's important to remind people here that we were merely honoring Albert Pujols with his question. We were not aspiring to get the question right. Okay? So, mission accomplished. Well done. Um, it's my go-to trivia question. It's it's a it's really a good one. Um, we're, like, we're, we're pathetic at this, but that's not the important part. The important part is we're now going to hear the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, play a clip of a home run by one of the greatest hitters who ever lived. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week? You, you kind of built it up the wrong way. I went a different direction. Uh, what? One of, well, the question is teams that don't have a guy in the 500 <laughs> home run club, right? Wow. I can't just randomly play a guy that was because that's not the that's not the good question. point. Good point. So anyway, that made things very complicated. And I went so you're down. Gonna, wait, you're going to have a uh, a clip be, that, of an Expo, a Rocky, or a Diamondback not hitting a home run? That sounds that's like exactly magic. what I have. The single. Yes. Like, well, they are hitting they a home run. Up the middle. They don't have time. Oh, they are? Yes. All right. So I went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out what to do. This is definitely the most complicated clip to try to get because of that. But anyway, in the end, I went with the <laughs> closest active player to 500 home runs who hasn't gotten there and who played for one of these teams who Alex just mentioned, Nelson Cruz, 459 home runs, currently a member of the Washington Nationals. If he was to hit 41 home runs between now and the end of the season, the Nationals will be off the list. Probably not. <laughs> probably not going to happen. But anyway, we're going to go way back to 2011 for one of Nelson Cruz's greatest home runs, although in the playoffs, in the ALCS, <laughs> game two against the Detroit Tigers. Here you go. In the air to left, down the line. This ball ends it. Nelson Cruz makes it a 7-3. Rangers win in game two, up two games to none. He's making Ron Washington look prophetic. He said Nelson Cruz has the ability to carry this team. And he will carry him to Detroit, up two games to nothing. 
Who would have thought in 2011 when he was doing that, that he would still be playing now and still hitting home runs? I actually think he hit 41 home runs just in that series, didn't he? So <laughs> he set the record. Yeah, he broke a record in that series. Yep. <laughs> he did. Uh, hey, Alex, fantastic question, man. So uh, keep this, the great strange but true tidbits coming and uh, come back and visit us again sometime in Starkville, okay? That would be awesome. Thank you again for having me on, Jason, Tim, Doug. So great to meet you virtually. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to do this in person in October. How about that? That would be lovely, and I think Seattle wouldn't mind that either. <laughs> okay, works for us. Thanks, my friend. Strange but true. So, Doug, it's not often that we have a guest and a trivia question and a strange but true segment, all inspired by the same player, but we're going to do that this week. You want more Albert Pujols? We've got more Albert Pujols. Because last Thursday, Albert actually did something that he had never done. Albert hits it out to deep left. It is gone. It's a grand slam. 690 off the bench. Pools pinch it. Grand slam. He's turning back the clock in 2022. And a grand slam off the bench. For number five. Ah, that was incredible. That was a pinch hit grand slam. Albert's been playing for 22 seasons. He had never hit one of those before. And that's not even the strange but true part. Ready for the strange but true part, Doug? I know oh, you are. Okay. The strange but true part is Albert drove in five runs in that game and he didn't even start it. So here's a tidbit that I think sums up how ridiculous his season is becoming. Uh, you remember all those years he played for the Angels, right? I know you do. He had one five RBI game in the last 357 games he started for the Angels. Then he goes to St. Louis and he has a five RBI game in a game he didn't even start. Doug, you can't make this stuff up. I mean... I, I, you know, I got to be honest with Albert. I just, I kind of stopped paying attention a little because I know he's been having fun. I know the Cardinals have been good. I know he pitched. I was like, okay, he's just riding off the sunset. He's going to hit like 212 and, you know, just go off and, you know, Cardinals would be good. And I was it. And then I looked up and I was like, what is he hitting right now? <laughs> I, just, I was like, wait a minute. What, what did I, I, it's like I blinked and this guy was like better than Albert Pujols. Certainly against lefties than Albert Pujols. Like what? Listen to this. Like, what? If the se- if the season had started at the All Star break, he'd be your triple crown winner. <laughs> <laughs> He's forty two. <laughs> insane, insane. It's insane. Yeah. All right. Well, one more thing on this. Here's a little Doug Glanville trivia. Our man, the Ville in Starkville, played one thousand one hundred and fifteen games. In the big leagues, that's you, Doug. In how many of those games did you drive in five runs or more than five runs? Well, one time, uh, my birthday, August 25th, I um, I got a limo shuttle that seated, I think, 16. And uh, I did drive them to a Hall & Oates concert in Atlantic City. So that was the only time I had more than five 
runs batted in in uh, in a game that I drove 16 people to a to a concert, and I'm gonna just call them runs batted in. That's it. All right, we do we have like do we have that buzzer that we play when we get these trivia questions wrong? Let's play that now <laughs> because the correct answer is over 1,100 games. <laughs> You never drove in five runs in a game. I know you were a leadoff hitter a lot of the time, but Albert, like Albert's almost your age. <laughs> He's still playing. He just drove in five, and it was a game he didn't even start. How amazing is baseball, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. And, and I, I had a six RBI game in spring training one year. Hit a grand slam one game. Never hit a grand slam during the regular season. Like I don't understand this game. That's what I love about it. Don't try to understand it. Just love it. That's how it goes. I, I think I understand it. You were Mr. March. That clears <laughs> it up. Right. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the fantastic writing in The Athletic, you want to know how? We can tell you how. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for $1 a month for the next six months. $1, Doug. And also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show we pick a fun listener trivia question. And then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, (laughs) there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how could you join us? You can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or you can reach us via the Twitter. Doug, I listened to you try to um, spell all these names out last week, so I'm going to keep it simple. You just have to spell out your name and tell people how they can reach you on Twitter. All right. That's very helpful. Shorthand. It's uh, very easy. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N. V-I-L-L-E, just hit at in front of that, and I'll get it, and we'll get it. <laughs> yes, and you won the spelling bee and spelling your name. I don't think people have any idea what my Twitter handle is if they listened last week, but it is at Jason ST, at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS, also, do not answer other people's questions directed at us. That was another thing this week, disqualifying questions. Terrible when that happens. But anyway, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Ricky Horton for joining us. Thanks to Alex Mayer for the trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow is Roundtable Day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. Starkville.